at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the It's About the Yankees Stupid Podcast. I am your host, Dominic Lanza, and I am joined this evening by EJ Fagan. Hello, Dominic. Hello, EJ, and Scott Moss. Hey there. So, uh, we're recording on Wednesday, uh, September 7th. It's about 7.40. The Yankees game started just a little while ago, and... Uh, as we've said a few times since uh, this trio started recording together, we really aren't focusing too much on what's happening this season anymore. Um, you know, we've talked a few times about it, and we all think the rebuild was a good move, and the future is what matters, and that's where we're focusing. And you know what? If the Yankees make the playoffs this year, it's awesome. If they keep in the race till the end of the season and don't make it, that's awesome. If they lose... Fun. Right? Yeah, I mean, I mean you're fun. having fun. This is good. This is a good September stretch run right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to have watchable baseball while also knowing that the team ostensibly improved its future without putting a crappy product on the field this year. And um, there's like an outside shot the Yankees can de- deny the Red Sox the playoffs at some point this month, which would be just wonderful. <laughs> I mean, I'd be happy if they booted the uh, Orioles out of the playoffs too, just to get Buck Showalter's smug face away. Well, then they're going to fire Buckshaw Walter, and then we can't win the World Series next year. So, That's true. Well, and there's the scenario, too, in which they end up one or two games back, and then just the more traditional press just goes ballistic about giving up on the season as if they knew all along. So, you know, that'll be special. I think the best outcome might be the whole team entropy scenario, where there's like four in-game playoffs for the in-game playoff to get to the first round. Oh, I, I usually track that toward the end of the season. I should start that. I, I do. I do love the the like the five way tie. Just gets crazy. Yeah, that's it one would of the be things, the best baseball event ever. That's one of those things that gets like a. This is a dated reference to a bad movie, but have either of you ever seen Basketball? Yeah. Oh, yes. It's when so they bad. talk about the crazy round robin scenario in that playoffs, that's what we'd get with that five way tie. <laughs> Yeah, it. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, I'm kind of trying to pull up the um, um, uh, the, the. There's a Wikipedia page. There we go. That 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 uh, denotes what happens here, and it is it is just wonderful. Um, but basically, so if you have, let's say, you have like three teams who all tie for the final wild card slot, um, those three teams would play a round robin. Um, against each other, and the, the the winner of the round robin, whoever wins two games, would uh, uh, would would play uh, for the wild card game. So you would have essentially like three must win games in a row, day after day. Be amazing. Now, five teams if five te- five teams make it, there's like a mini tournament, uh, in that would that would take like a week and would be all sorts of crazy. And I think that's what we should all be rooting for. Well, you know, you know that like we for we had like one game playoffs, you know, every couple of years in in the pre wild card era, um, and we haven't had a one one game playoff for the second wild card yet. But it's just as possible as all those one game playoffs. Like if you remember the the great what was the Rockies Cardinals one? I think it was uh, a few years ago. That was just this like you know that that uh, Matt Holiday like you know like got concussion at the plate to score the final run. Um, like that's. That's what I want. Like that is that is that's baseball. I take the day off of work for that. Well, and you'd think it'd be more likely in the wild card era, just because of the number of teams clustering at eighty-four to eighty-seven wins would make it more likely the two teams would end up with the same record. But you know, go figure. Well, just for reference, the Orioles currently have the second wild card spot. There are two teams within a game and a half of them: the Tigers and the Astros. Then the Yankees are three back, and the Royals are three and a half back. I just want uh, Raul Abanez on my team for that stretch. That's or Dan I, Johnson. Yeah. And Johnny Gomes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, all, all that aside, we really, unless this happens, we mostly care about 2017. Uh, and as you know, we've been talking about 
the team's kind of organizational depth chart moving forward. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about their catchers. Last week, Scott and EJ talked about first basemen. And today, we're going to talk about the Keystone, the uh, future at second base. And there's two kind of uh, disclaimers to get out of the way. Um, The first is that this one kind of stands out because at catcher, they had a good catcher currently on the roster. Basically, two good catchers on the roster. First base, they had no good first baseman on the roster. Um, Second base, they kind of have a young, interesting second baseman in Starling Castro, who has been so hot and cold that it's incredibly frustrating whenever I see his name. Uh, So that's going to add a little wrinkle we haven't really had yet in my mind. Uh, And the other disclaimer is we're going to avoid talking about shortstops who haven't played second base yet but might move there. Because Scott and EJ were talking about this before we started recording, and most second basemen are failed shortstops. And a large percentage of those failed shortstops moved from short to second base in the upper minors or even in the majors. It happens a lot. Um, so if we were talking about second bit shortstops that might move, we'd be here for three hours. And we really don't want that. So we took the players who have played a decent chunk of their games at second, even if they're still nominally shortstops, and uh, those are the guys we'll be talking about. But all that being said, I think it makes sense to start with Castro, who was... Awesome in April, uh, shitty, to be frank, in uh, May, June, and July, and he's been hitting well since right around the trade deadline, so, I mean, this is who he is, right? He is the streaky hitter that has a great hit tool, but has no freaking clue what to swing at and what not to swing at. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's sitting right now right below one uh, baseball reference war, uh, you know, he last year he was he was essentially replacement level. The year before that, he was three WAR. I mean, I think he's uh, somewhere between a, a below an average player and above a replacement level player. And it, he's twenty six, so I guess he could get better. But I don't really think that's very very likely. It's just it's hard to see a player like him because, or maybe not hard to see him, but it's just hard to like reconcile the issues that he has because people talk about him as kind of a a one-hit wonder, a one-season wonder, or whatever. And he's really not that, because he's... I'm on his baseball reference page. He has two three-plus war seasons, a two-war season. His rookie year, which was only 120 games, would be prorated to two-war. And then he's been replacement level two years, and this year he's right around one win. It's... The streakiness is just so baffling that you can see him putting it together because he's done it before, and he's taken to second base pretty well by most accounts, so it's not like you're dreaming on a guy who had one good season oh so many years ago. You're dreaming on a guy who's had three or four good seasons and two or three shit seasons, and I just don't I don't know how to deal with him. And he's not going anywhere barring a trade um, because he's... He has a guaranteed deal for the next three years after this one. He signed through 2019 with a team option through 2020. Yeah, I'm kind of with EJ in seeing him as passable. Probably a little below average is what you'd expect going forward. He strikes me as the kind of guy that, I'm older than you guys, when I started paying attention to baseball in the 80s, when not many people were focused on advanced stats. I wasn't until the very late 80s when I was finally able to read that stuff. He strikes me as someone who got overrated based on some superficial stuff early in his career. So looking at his first three years, he had 300, 307, 283. So you pencil him in as someone who's basically a 300 hitter. And then his power kept going up slightly each year. So And he hit stole 20 bases, but with a bad success rate. He strikes me as the sort of guy that in the 80s they would say is super because he's a 300 hitter with power and with speed. And maybe he'll go 20-20 someday when people thought that was a thing. But... Since then, his contact's gone down. He's really been more like a 260s hitter than a pushing 300 hitter. His strikeouts have remained high. His power has not really skyrocketed. It's just remained at tweener level, even if this year he has a couple more home runs and a couple fewer doubles. So, you know, I think he's what he is, and he's basically an average to below average but not awful player. But that's to say that, 
you know, whatever potential people saw in him either was exaggerated or he didn't fulfill it when he came up at age 20 and looked good young in the superficial stats in particular. So he's worth replacing if he gets someone really better, but he's not someone that is an imperative to replace probably, which ultimately in a way makes him kind of a boring player. Yeah, I mean, at the time when, he, when we traded for him, I was happy about it, but maybe in hindsight we were dumb. Um, <laughs> Because there there was real risk to, to adding him to the roster, so I think you know he was a decent candidate to become a bounce back to be kind of that you know slightly above average player that he was when he was on in Chicago, um, and you know he was still young, so you know that that seemed you know at least not not necessarily likely, but you know it, there was a good chance that he could sustain a, a a decent level of production for a couple of, years. but the downside was just so strong. So, you know, now that now that he's not good and maybe now it's like, you know, two out of the last three years, he's been very ineffective. Maybe if he's not good now, we're locked into that contract for three more years. If I'm the Yankees, I think I play him full time next year. Hope that he reestablishes some some value and like the Diamondbacks are looking for a second baseman or one of the other like few dumb like dumb teams are willing to, to take him off our hands when he's hitting 300 on May 15th. I think that the issue is going to be. um Unlike some of the other, unlike the first two positions we talked about, I, I don't know why I'm acting like we've talked about every position already, um, that, you know, for 2017, he's probably the team's best in-house option, even if we say he's, you know, give him a little benefit of the doubt and say he's an average starter at second base. Probably an exaggeration, but, you know, he has, he has an 89 WRC plus right now. He's a decent defender. He is probably fine. Uh, Rob Ref Snyder is the only guy in the upper levels and the minors that's really close to ready, and he just doesn't seem very good. They haven't given him the sort of regular playing time that you want to see to determine if a player is good or bad, which I do fault them for, but it's beginning to reach a point where I, I just wonder if organizationally they know something that we just don't know that is prohibitive of him finding success. And to be completely fair to a team that claims to really value defense, I know the eye test is shoddy, but Ref Snyder just looks terrible at second base every time he's there. And he looks terrible at first base, too. He just looks shaky, like he doesn't want to be there. And maybe that's nerves, maybe that's because he knows... Every chance he gets could be his last, but it's it's kind of scary seeing him out there. He's definitely not good. I mean, I, I don't think anybody thinks he's even even like just bad. Um, it's it's pretty easy to me to. I mean, when a ball's hit at him, he misses it a lot. And there's a way in which he could be a useful major league player to somebody in some way, but when you look at it, his hitting probably has an upside of being about as good as Castro's with worse defense because he's not a native middle infielder. So it's hard to see a universe in which he's meaningfully better than Castro, but there's a lot of way he could be worse. So replacing Castro with him while you're still eating the Castro contract, it seems like there's little chance for real upside. There's a lot of chance for real downside. And then you've cluttered your roster a little bit. I guess you could turn Castro into a utility infielder, but that seems a little backwards as a way to use Castro and Ref Snyder. So, yeah, it seems like he's one of those guys, and he is a major league player as a bat, and maybe there's a position where he won't really hurt you, but he's not really useful to the Yankees, it seems. Is he really a major league player with a bat, though? I mean, he's been okay. You know, he had, ever since that first season he's been at AAA, he's, he hasn't even been all that great at AAA. So, I mean, I if you had to, if I had to bet on somebody to get DFA this offseason, I think it's Ref Snyder. I think, you know, he's reminding me of someone you mentioned pretty recently, which is David Adams. He hit a lot of contact in the minors, more double-A than triple-A consistently. But then, okay, if he plays second and third base and he's not a premium defender at third, then having a average singles hitting bat at best in the majors isn't enough. And then it didn't really translate for Adams. And I think you're right. I suspect it might not be translating much for Ref Snyder. Yeah, I mean, uh, where does he fit on a four-man bench, right? So four-man bench, you got one right. backup catcher. That's three-man bench. Now you have one outfielder, fielder, you know, someone who can play center field at least. That goes down to that. That brings it down to two. Then you have someone who has to play shortstop, which he cannot do. So now that brings you down to brings you down to one guy left over. You know, you could you could use that spot on a Rob Snyder, but you could also use it on another outfielder, on a, a someone who has an actual bat, maybe a platoon hitter, something like that. I don't. I, I, Snyder is. 
is uh, hits enough that he doesn't embarrass himself, embarrass himself. Excuse me, in the major leagues, but there's no asset there. Right. I think the reason people still look at Ref Snyder and see something, um, you have to squint a little bit, but it is like Scott alluded to. He just he makes a lot of contact. He seems to have a good approach at the plate. I mean, again, you know, you're talking about small sample sizes. He has less than 200 plate appearances as a major leaguer, but his walk rate's above 9%. He's only striking out 14% of the time, and he doesn't have the speed to really say, oh, as long as he puts the bat on the ball, things can happen, but, you know, if some of that power, that mid-range power he showed in the minors comes into the games, you make a lot of contact, you draw some walks, good things can happen, but, again, it goes back to that defense. If he... I don't. His bat needs to be something more than if you make contact, some good things could happen. If he can't play defense, and well, I think he's somebody you keep a keep around to be a floater between a AAA and the majors as a utility guy because he can play the corner outfield. He's actually fine in left field and right field, um, and the outfield is going to have a couple of lefties in it again next year. So I think he's fine to keep around. It's just. You have to determine exactly what his value is, and I'm 100% going to endorse Tyler Austin over him if the value is first base, left field, right field. Right. And there's upside to Tyler Austin. Like The best case scenario for for, for Ref, Ref Snyder is probably he matches his AAA batting line. He's got 1,000 AAA plate appearances. He's hit 290, 360, 369, 419. That's good. The best of it came two years ago. Um, by far the best of it came two years ago. Uh-huh. But, you know, okay, you know, if, if he can do that, he can probably get a major league job somewhere. I think it's in the National League where pinch hitting, hitting matters much more and where you have that little, you know, little bit more bench flexibility because, um, you know, it, that is very replaceable. You know, if you're not doing, if you're, if you're a negative contributor on defense uh, for the, uh, you know, for the Yankees. I mean, that's a below average second baseman, let alone, you know, uh, you know, other, other positions. Um, this season. Yeah, I agree. Um, so then uh, moving into the minors, there's the Yankees have one semi elite prospect that I would consider their second baseman of the future. Um, he's been switching between short and second this year, as has pretty much everybody else we're going to discuss. Um, but that's Jorge Mateo, who we've talked about more than once on this podcast because, He's a Yankees top prospect. He is or was a top 100 prospect. And, I mean, everybody listening to this knows him by now. Yeah, hopefully they, they haven't looked at his stat line in the last six months, because damn. Um, no, he's been a disappointment this year, especially when you factor in his purported uh, attitude issues. Yeah, he got off to a really great start. And I wrote a blog post, like the curse of the blog post, sorry Gary Sanchez, that... Um, <laughs> That that essentially he had put it all together this season. That he 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 was slugging like five twenty to start the season and was you know hitting the ball all over the place. He was hitting um, you know doubles and triples and home runs and stealing bases and not striking out and it was just everything. And around like May fifteenth or so, it just the bottom just fell out and he has been absolutely horrible ever since. He's only twenty one years old. He's relatively inexperienced. Twenty one. I don't think anyone thinks that the the time is over for him. He still has the tools. But um, it has not been a good season for Jorge Mateo. That said, I think you're right. I think he is. If, if I had to pick someone other than Castro, who's going to be our second baseman two years from now, I would say Jorge Mateo because he's just that good. I mean, this is a guy who who led, I believe, all of professional baseball in stolen bases last year in in 2015, um, and uh, was you know a pretty good hitter on top of that. And he can play defense. Uh-huh. But the fact that we jump right down to Tampa A ball shows that. When we don't believe in Ref Snyder, we're basically stuck with Castro for probably the next two years, uh, for lack of another ready option. I mean, Tyler Wade is the other guy. So Wade is like the like Wade is the guy, the prospect that that don't, they don't get no respect. You know, he's um, he's not that good, and he's never been a star player, but just. He's been young. He got a chance when somebody got injured when he was going. Go, uh, he was going to go to short season ball, and they put him in a ball. And he's just been good enough at every every step, every step. And all of a sudden, he's like the youngest player I think in the in in the uh, in the Eastern League, and he's hitting you know two fifty nine, three fifty two, three forty nine as a as a a lefty in a very hard park for lefties to hit for power. You know, 
basically hit the exact same line last year at Tampa, basically hit the exact same line at Charleston. I mean, literally 350 on-base percentage, 349 slugging, 349 on-base percentage, 353 slugging, 352 on-base percentage, 359 slugging. I think we know who this guy is. And that's not great. That's probably roughly equivalent to what Castro is doing, but this guy's got some speed. He can play defense. He's cheap. He's young. Maybe he gets better. Yeah, I, I think he's pretty good. I mean, I, I've i been a, a pretty decent fan of Tyler Wade just because he always struck me as a, a surefire shortstop. And obviously he's been playing a second base off and on, but I, I think that's largely because the Yankees have been trying to make sure he's versatile as opposed to any any real flaw in his game. Because, I mean, he has a strong arm, he has plenty of range, um, and... But, you know, like you said, EJ, he's he's never going to be a great hitter. He's going to be the guy who hits, like, kind of like Scott talked about earlier, like a classic middle infielder. He'll hit, um, you know, 260, 270. As long as he doesn't let people knock the bat out of his hands, maybe he'll take a good number of walks. He'll run the bases well. Um, and I, I think you take that. Even if it, it doesn't fit the model that the Yankees have been trotting out there or attempting to trot out there since they had Jeter and Cano up the middle, you know, there are worse things to have than, I don't know, Joe Panic playing second base for you or Josh Harrison. And that's that's the kind of player that Tyler Wade profiles as. Or Dustin Ackley or Brendan Ryan or everyone else <laughs> they've had there since, since Cano. Drew. <laughs> Stephen Drew. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think, look, I, there's value in cheap above, like average to slightly below average production. Um, I think, you know, the best case scenario probably involves Wade as a bench player. And I think unlike Ref Snyder, I think he brings enough that he can he could be that infielder on the bench and be pretty useful. Right? He can play short pretty well. He can play second. He can probably play some other positions. He can run, which is important. And he's a decent hitter. Right. And the he, there is room for him next year. He's pretty clearly slated to be the starting shortstop at Scranton, so he'll get a chance to see what he's got. The catch, of course, is that Castro is, in a way, really boringly adequate enough that if Wade keeps looking like the guy he is, uh, decent but not great contact, not a ton of power, okay defensively, it's hard to start benching Castro for him because his upside, Wade's, would look like one and a half to two war average player with a lot of real downside for a guy you're promoting. So, you know, I'm with EJ and seeing him as probably a bench player, unless he look like a lot of 21 year olds, he could just turn a corner and surprise us, but he'd have to start doing something different at AAA next year to look like, I think a replacement for Castro. I think the flip side of that might just be if they can get rid of Castro and the 10 million he's owed, just getting further away from that luxury tax that they're trying to get the hell away from, that's when, you know, the Yankees plan to going into that uh, off-season 2017-18 free agent class and shooting their load in free agency and having that extra $9 million could really help. Right. Do we think Castro's trade value, will a team take him on as something more than a dump? If he's if he starts the season, let's say by the trade deadline next year, he's like an above-average second baseman, yeah, definitely. He's got enough name value and, and you know, teams will be desperate enough. Um, and I think the Yankees should just pounce. Like if 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 anybody will take the guy, if he clears wa- if, you know if he if he can clear waivers, or rather if he doesn't clear waivers, and some team will take him for free, just go get him out. If he finishes this season strong, I think a team will take him without making the Yankees eat salary or anything. That's I don't, that's nice. I don't know if I mean, that's the a problem- move, but I'm just just saying. I mean, I would do it, um, but there's there's a lot of second basemen out there this year, a lot of good ones. Yeah. Uh, moving on, the rest of the guys aren't super interesting uh, short-term or high-ceiling-term, I don't think. Um, Nick Sollick's mother is very angry at you. <laughs> um, Hoi-Joon Park is a, is a player that I really like, um, mostly because, like a lot of the players in a Korean professional baseball, he has an 80-grade bat flip tool, which I'd really love to see. The trouble is he's not going to hit home runs. Um in these ballparks, but he is a great defensive shortstop and he's been even better at second base. Um, but he's in low a and he's very far away and he's bad, but I mean like he's not hitting. 
yeah, I'm like not denying it, but the bat flip tool makes up for that. <laughs> well, okay, an eighty bat flip, I guess I can I can watch. We can always just go get go out and get like Deho Lee or something if we want. Very true. Um, and then the other guy is somebody who the Yankees got some some slack for taking was a uh, another uh, single A shortstop slash second baseman Kyle Holder who was one of their first round picks last year. Um, and he was drafted basically because he's an excellent defensive shortstop. Uh, there were reports last year when he was drafted that he was the best college shortstop defensively in the draft, but people questioned whether or not he'd be able to hit. He's hit for Charleston this year um, to the untrained eye where because he's hit 290, but he also doesn't walk, he strikes out a lot, and he has no power. Yeah, I'm sorry. The Yankees are just stupid sometimes. Like, they never they never learn. Because you know who we didn't even think to consider talking about ever on this podcast today? Cito Culver, right? Because they drafted <laughs> him in the first round. And guess what? They said, you know, Cito Culver is like twin, long-lost, estranged brother, just got out of college. And we can draft him too, right? And then, and then oh my God, he's hitting, he's slugging 347 at Charleston, and we expected that. Like, that's how dumb the Yankees are. <laughs> He is he, maybe he becomes Ramiro Pena in like the best case scenario. He's your like your he's your twenty fifth guy in the roster. Why they spent a first round pick on Kyle Holder? I, I'm sorry, Kyle, Kyle Holder's mom. I do not get like just this is the same stupid mistake that is that the second he was drafted, everyone went oh oh that's what they're thinking that they, they they miffed on on Cito Culver, so they're gonna try again. Stupid. I don't know. I I kind of like Kyle Holder. So first of all, he was a I think the supplemental first-round pick, the main first-round pick was James Caprillian. So he was the guy they picked somewhere in the 30s, uh, if I recall correctly. So he's not someone they passed up a lot of talent for. Whereas Cito Culver, I think they had a pretty high first-round pick with him that year. So the list of people they passed up for Cito Culver was staggering and annoying. Um, With Kyle Holder... There might be more than meets the eye, I think, with the bat, because he came to baseball late, actually. That's part of the folklore about him. So he's still very much an unpolished bat, even though he was a college player. And I've been sort of following him because I somehow got a shine to him early on. He This year, he was hitting in the 250s for most of the time with Charleston and only ratcheted it up in the last two months to around 290. So... And there were some good quotes from him in the paper about learning and things he's doing. So I think he may actually be a late bloomer with the bat um, and unpolished with the bat because he was a basketball player in college for a while before. Now, you could hear that and EJ could say, OK, so maybe spend your first round pick on a guy who played baseball. So, yes. Or, or, or the exact same argument was made for Cito Culver. Like, oh, no, this guy, he's, he's from upper, upstate New York. He played baseball like a month and a half out of the year and then dug snow the other 10 months, right? Like, like that. that is – like that myth is is a third round pick, right? That that's the guy we're going to talk about Nick next. Nick Solak, second round pick out of college, sure, whatever. They spent one point eight million dollars of their draft pool money on Kyle Holder. There were there were plenty of like real high ceiling prospects you could have gotten uh, at that point. That and a lot of them have already you know turned out to be pretty good. I don't know why you 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 roll your dice on a guy with with such a low uh, such a low reward. Maybe he become maybe he's maybe you're right. Like maybe he becomes like a like a true two ninety hitter. And with no power like that, does anyone think he has the tools to be more than that? No, but that wouldn't be bad if he's that good defensively. And but I think whether this is um, a good thing or a bad thing, they clearly have decided we're going to go all in with shortstops at all costs. I mean, the fact that they have so many shortstops at each level that they have to play rock paper scissors before the game to figure out who's the second baseman and who's the shortstop <laughs> shows that you know you have Mateo so. Well, you, here's, of course, don't get Gleyber Torres to be in the same level. So maybe it makes sense because shortstops become other positions more than somebody else does, and they're the athletic people. So I'm not sure it's a great idea, and maybe they're overdoing it, as EJ is saying. But definitely there's a broader strategy that's behind Kyle Holder and all these guys. Well, here's just a couple of things. One, since I'm thoroughly enjoying how angry EJ is getting, I want to <laughs> bring up the fact that uh, – that, uh, Aaron Sanchez was taking two picks after Cito Culver, and Noah Syndergaard was taking six picks after him. Yeah, <laughs> and that, yeah, <laughs> and that's, that's just from the first Thank round. You. That's wonderful. Yeah, and you, but, oh, but you know, hey, Cito Culver, he signed for like nine hundred thousand dollars. But he's a, a good, good kid. He's a good kid. 
He's a good kid. Oh, he's so smart. He went to his high school prom two weeks after the draft and then went straight from prom down to Tampa. Oh, yeah. And speaking Did about you read good- the article about how Frazier is really kind to people who've been through hardships in life? And- oh, no. Yankees, they do that shit. Just draft the asshole. <laughs> it's okay. You can still hit. Like, God damn it, Yankees. You know who was drafted 30 picks after Cito Culver? Andrelson Simmons, an actually great shortstop. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Dom, we need a new feature on the podcast just to... Yankee Jays chain, which would be for the next couple years, if we keep doing this, I want to do players that were drafted ahead of Kyle Holder <laughs> in that first round and are now super duper stars. Well, how just, about Nick Castellanos, Taiwan Walker? Yeah, they, they were all there. Well, how about this? So, drafted after Kyle Holder? Um, hold on, let me go back to find out when he was taken after him. Oh, this could be history repeating uh, itself. Four picks after Kyle Holder was Kristen Stewart, a pro- prospect in uh, the Tigers organization who was named to Baseball America's minor league all-star team. He just had a 936 OPS and hit 24 home runs as a lefty in the Florida State League. Yeah, well, 10 picks after Cito Culver, you have Luke Jackson. He sucks, but he's better than, than Cito Culver, so there we go. <laughs> the other thing we could do is, if, if AJ's right about all this, then in three years, let's say, or two years, when Kyle Holder and Cito Culver are both out of baseball, we'll track them down and have them both on the podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> and just have EJ Burrell them. Know. You guys are bad at and baseball. EJ can just yell at them. Bad. No, I'm not going to yell at them. I'm going to go yell at the asshole who drafted them. Like, that, that's the, yeah. So, who drafted you? I mean, if someone gave me $1.8 million and, and was like, EJ, you're a really nice guy. I think you maybe in like five years you'll be able to hit a little bit. So here's $1.8 million. I take it. Like, I don't fault Cito Culver for getting a bigger payday than I'll ever get. Right. But he's not going to play Major League Baseball. And, and, and you know something? I drank the Kool-Aid back in 2010. Not going to lie. I wrote lots of blog posts. You can probably find them somewhere being like, no, guys, really. Like, Cito Culver, he's the shit. Like, it's going to work out. <laughs> but, of course, like, that was bullshit. Like, I, that wasn't true. I mean, I thought it was true at the time. But now I know better. I'm smarter now than I was back then. Like, the, like the... the, the Conventional baseball teams, they just go out and and with that with that kind of pick, a first round supplemental pick, they know it's risky. They're gonna try to they're gonna try to take somebody who's you know, you know not bad, right, or somebody who has a, a shot at a high ceiling, and that's what the Yankees should do. And they've started to do that now, but you know, Holder was the exception. But do you have anything? We, we need to move away from second baseman before EJ has an aneurysm on the podcast. <laughs> um, no, we'll, just, wanna, it, it, we'll continue with this as a weekly feature: the uh, travails of yet failed Yankee shortstop draftees. Um, do you want to add anything about Nick Solak, EJ? I know we talked about him a little bit on the draft podcast. Because, um, I mean, he's probably the furthest away among the prospects you could see being something at second base. Second baseman, uh, he came out of Louisville. He's hitting pretty well for, for Staten Island this year. He's not a high ceiling guy. That's what happens when you draft a guy in the middle of the second round. Um, but you, um, but he's pretty good. You know, he's he's got more bat than a Kyle Holder or a Cito Culver. He's a pretty good second baseman. Um, yeah, I know it's 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 amazing that that's what you get when you draft people at their draft slot. Um, you know, but he, he's he's got a little bit of everything. He's got eight stolen bases in sixty four games. He's got some home runs. He's got some doubles. Staten Island is a really odd place to hit. Um, it's got some quirks that we can talk about one day if we, if we really want to. Um, and so I never trust short season Staten Island numbers. Um, but, you know, I, I think Nick Solak is probably, like, you know, four or five years from now is a pretty decent bet to be, you know, uh, a Tyler Wade type. Not even four or five years, three years from now. So uh, first I just want to say, before we move on, I just want to say, EJ, I like when you describe a player's stat line, you say he's got some stolen bases, he's got some home runs, he's got some doubles. <laughs> Would you like me to be more specific? <laughs> that was an A+. Plus. Um, so we have one more thing we want to discuss. We're trying to keep these between 30 minutes and, I don't know, 45 minutes or so, and we're at 33 minutes now, so we're going to try to push it quick. Um, but we just wanted to talk about some buy-low candidates for next year. Um some of these guys are probably prohibitive, if not all of them, because of how much they're owed. But uh, Scott, and to a lesser extent, EJ and myself, put together a list of uh, guys that might be movable because of their contracts, because of what the teams are doing. Um, and, you know, we figured we'd offer quick thoughts on each player. Um, I think we'll try to keep it to like a sentence or two about each player from each of us, uh, because I think this is something that could generate interesting discussion going forward especially given the rumors that we've seen uh, or we saw around the August 31st waiver deadline. Um, 
And I wasn't going to say it, but I'm going to bring up that uh, Scott wanted to include Pablo Sandoval here. And we were going to have a nice segment where EJ just berated him for it, but we chose to <laughs> skip that. Um, so if you want to berate Scott via Twitter or in the comments or anything, just just go ahead and do that. Well, um, I think we could trade Kyle Holder for Sandoval. That would probably be a good move. No, no, no. It's a bad, bad move. <laughs> if they did that, Kyle Holder would turn into, I don't know, Corey Seager. <laughs> No, I'll no, just keep proposing no, transactions where we give away one guy EJ hates for another guy EJ hates. <laughs> the, the, the problem is that that other guy costs $70 million, right? That's the, that's the big difference. Okay, so uh, the player we'll start with, um, and, and I'm hoping I was Scott's inspiration for this a little bit with my post, um, is Yasiel Puig, who the Dodgers have been pretty openly shopping for some time. Um but he wasn't moved, and they reportedly still value him highly enough that they're asking for something talented back. So, I, I mean, I, I wrote about it. I love Yasiel Puig. I love his talent. Um, he is kind of a dick, to be blunt, and there are problems there. But I've been a firm believer for a while that if a player has the talent, it's on the coaching staff and the clubhouse to get it out of him. Um, and I'd like to think that the Yankees can do that with players. Uh, I just wouldn't give up a lot for him, especially considering what the Yankees have in the outfield, both now and coming up through the pipelines. But costs, depending upon the cost in talent being sent there, I think Puig's probably the most attractive candidate of the five guys we're going to talk about. Yeah, I agree. And the first question I have with any of these guys, we're talking about guys who are not as appealing as they seem when their contract was signed and should we buy low in them. The first question is, if it cost you no players, would you take the guy at this contract? That's not true for Pablo Sandoval. <laughs> um, so you would only take him at either a salary dump or not at all. For Puig, I think for two more years at $8.7 million each, which is not a lot of money for the guys age 26 and 27 seasons, I think the answer is yes. You clearly take him for $17 million over two years. And then the question becomes... Is he worth more than that such that there's surplus value so you'd give up a guy for him? And I don't know what you guys think. I know there's some divergent opinions here. I would. I wouldn't give up an A-list prospect, but I'd give up a Tyler Austin or Brian Mitchell. A guy who probably has value, but... A Kyle Holder. (laughs) Right, right. Take my Kyle Holder, please. You give away a guy who has some value, um, just not a superstar prospect, because, you know, I think there's enough chance he is average to very good. Um, obviously this depends on him getting it together and improving his attitude, but there's enough raw talent there that I think he's clearly worth a lot more than his salary, even given the wide variance in possible outcomes for him. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on the, I, I, I think the price you just named for him is far lower than his asking price. Um, I don't, I, I, I if, if you said, Hey, you give up Tyler Austin and Kyle Holder and you get, <laughs> um, uh, and you get Yasiel Puig, I would say, I would say sure. I think more realistically that the Dodgers are, are going to be looking for, and let's be honest, they're trading him. Um, they're going to be looking for, uh, trying to think like a, a Glaber Torres or you know, maybe even a, a notch below that, a Dylan Tate, something like that. And I wouldn't do that. I, I think Puig's been on a downward trajectory for a long time. Um, I think he's got the the kind of quick twitch athleticism without a lot of refinement that doesn't hold together very well in the major leagues. He reminds me of a younger Carlos Gomez um, and maybe has like a late, like a late twenties breakout like Gomez does, but that doesn't really seem to be the case. There's reasons to believe he's not really coachable. um, And he's a bit of an asshole. And you know, the Yankees, it's not like the Yankees are lacking for outfield options. They've got tons of, they just gave away Ben Gamble for nothing because they have nowhere to play him. So, you know, I'd rather have to give that playing time to Mason Williams personally. Makes sense. All right. So next up is Zach Greinke, who I'm just, I'm just saying a big old no to. Um, I don't need to go into how his numbers were very, very, very highly inflated by pitching in a Dodger stadium the three years before this year with the Diamondbacks and he's owed a ton of money, so no. I think if, if there was some sort of salary dump uh, or relief situation, I, I consider it. You know, he's definitely overpaid. He was overpaid the second he signed that contract. Um, yeah, he's been better. He's got a better fit this year than his ERA. He, you know, he's still Zach Greinke. He's still got the mental side of the game that I think is pretty strong. 
Um, and I'm, I'm also on the, on the, on the Diamondbacks screw up everything camp. So, you know, if you trade into a team that's smart, like, you know, the Dodgers when Grinky was on them, um, I think he could be decent. Uh, I think the Yankees could get something out of him, but yeah, if not unless you take like half his contract, he'll be 33 in October and he's owed about 170 million in the next five years. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly in a weird position in that I have a decent level of confidence that he's a number one to three starter for most of that contract, probably one to two for now, going down to three by the time he's 35, 36, 37. So he clearly is a valuable major league player, just not worth anywhere near that money. So that's the classic. Um, I don't know that I would take him on for um, zero player value, meaning, you know, Zero player Culver would be value would be basically just trading Cedo Culver for him, just taking on the contract. Um, and I probably wouldn't do that, but I don't know that I need much salary relief. If he were down to thirty million a year, I think in Yankee money he's worth it because I think the odds are good that he's going to be a number two starter at least for some time. Let me see if I can change your mind. Here's a story. So uh, some player on his team, I think it was with, with the Angels, was um, was a hitter. And Grinky has this, uh, if you guys don't know, has a, uh, a uh, like a reputation of being like savant, like a baseball genius. And this guy, this hitter, was like struggling with his, with his swing. And so Grinky goes up to him. He goes, look, I know how to fix your swing. And the hitter's like, really? And so Grinky's like, follow me into the video room. I told you the story, the Idra. You, you told me the story? Yeah. Damn it. Well... I'm going to finish it then. He goes into the video room. He puts on a video. He shows a video of Grinky hitting himself hitting a home run, and he says, do it like that, and walks out. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll take that on my team, just not at that price. <laughs> um, you told me that. We talked about it on the podcast, like podcast. yeah. <laughs> it's from a Joe Posnanski article. Oh, there you go. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> um, so next up is a... Uh, Albert Pujols, who is a no. I think he'd make a great special instructor with Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> I mean, Scott, you were the one who who uh, loves the Pooh Man. So, what do you you have anything? You know, he's still a major league hitter. I think as a combination of he has some doubles, some home base. runs, some stolen bases. Yeah, exactly. He'll be the base running coach. So, yeah, <laughs> hobbling around on the one good foot or whatever he yeah, has. No, so. no doubles. No doubles. I think under the Americans with Disabilities Act, he can get one of those scooters <laughs> to move him around. It'll be like Casey Martin in golf years ago. So, yeah, I think he's look. He's still an above average hitter, and he breaks down or you know doesn't have the feet, legs, what have you. But as a DH and part time first baseman, he would have value. I think uh, with some uncertainty about Bird. I put him in the same class as Granky. He's not as good at Granky. He's more like a, you know, maybe two-plus war player, two, but he signed forever. So, yeah, he has value, but he's not worth clearly that. So you need substantial salary relief. But if the Angels accept that, notwithstanding wasting Mike Trout's career, they're going nowhere for the next several years and they decide to eat half his contract, would you take him for an average of $14 million a year? You know, maybe there's value in him and his no. bat. No, uh, yeah. yeah. Maybe I'm just too free with the money. That was a very impassioned plea, Scott. I'm sorry, but just no. Not going to do it. <laughs> All right, next. I got outvoted. Um, next up is uh, is two guys that I think are interesting, but they're kind of on, on different ends of the spectrum. Um, the first we'll go with is Justin Upton, who signed a pretty fat free agent deal this offseason, for those, uh, those who don't know, because I don't think his contract received a lot of publicity, mostly because, um, one, nobody cares about the Tigers, and two, uh, he was signed right around the same time as Jason Hayward, who got a lot more press, um, but he's making $22.1 million a year through 2021, and he has been something resembling Starling Castro this year, actually, offensively. You know, he's been so consistent before this that I, I think he'll get back. I mean, he, he's he's one of the most consistent hitters in baseball, uh, at least has been over the last six or seven years. But the, the reason I would not take him for nothing is the opt-out. So he's going to opt-out on after his contract next year, which means that if he's really good next year, if he comes, goes back to his former self, he probably opts out and, you know, the Yankees get no upside. Whereas, excuse me, if he's bad, they're stuck with him for four more years. You know, I think it's making it so hard to analyze these. I feel like, you know, EJ, we'll have to relearn some game theory or something to figure this out. But 
So basically, if you get Upton, you get either one year of good Upton or four years of bad Upton, to simplify a little bit, which is a really, really bad trade-off uh, in that sense. So even though he's, you know, player who decently probably has some value, um, yeah, you're going to be wedded to him only if he's good. I guess it depends for me, and it goes to right to what EJ said. Um, if they get him, if it's a something-for-nothing thing where the Tigers are just dumping the salary and the Yankees are just sending back a warm body, he's a guy that I would take a flyer on because if you're giving up nothing and he's great and he just bounces after next year, it's kind of nothing of value is lost. Except for the opportunity to play your guy, Aaron Judge, because, Dom, if I remember right, you're the biggest fan of him, so if you end up getting Upton, then you can't watch Aaron Judge set the Major League strikeout record with 280 next year. I mean, maybe they send Brett Gardner there to get rid of Gardner's contract, because Gardner's been... Or Jacoby Ellsbury, you I mean, know, center fielder. I mean, I'm not, I'm not. In my mind, getting somebody like him or the next guy we're talking about means that you're giving up on Brett Gardner and accepting that the return you get for him is not going to be commensurate with, with with what you think his value is. Because I think that's the reason why Gardner has stuck around for so long. Right. Uh, and the last guy on our list is a uh, the player who I guess we really would have to debate what he'll cost, and, you know, how much the money, Yankees, the money should be uh, dedicating to a player. And that is Ryan Braun, who is signed through 2020 to a pretty freaking reasonable contract for what he is. He, uh, it's $19 million in 2017, 19 in 2018, 18 in 2019, and $16 million in 2020 with a buy with a team option for $15 million in 2021. He is not signed for a must. Yeah, I can't believe nobody claimed him. Yeah, I, you know, I think I think the steroids thing is kind of hanging over him. And you know, Braun what did it, you know denied doing steroids in multiple times in particularly embarrassing ways. You had that famous press conference, like you know, with, with a grand you know vista behind him. Um, I think I, I think Braun is Braun's a three win player this year, and there he loses a little bit of value on defense um, and a little bit of value on. Um, his home ballpark, and you know he was injured a lot the last the, the two years previous, and so he wasn't very good you know for for two seasons really three seasons. Um, he had a thumb injury that he, he basically couldn't grip a bat. Um, he and really was, missed still, the two seasons, including the one with the suspension. I think it was. I, I, think I have a page was, up yeah. here in uh, twenty thirteen, which was when he was suspended. He had a uh, a one thirty three wrc plus. 2014 oh, was go. the hampered okay. season, and even then he had 19 home runs and a 113 WRC plus. I mean, that's that's his worst season by far. Yeah, you know he's not a very good defender. Like I, I think I think he's a, a guy I'd be interested to see if, if he takes well at DHing. You know, maybe that helps him age a little a little bit better. Um, you know, and he, he'd be a DH that could okay, it wouldn't be Carlos Beltran on the field. Would be you know, maybe place in first base or something. I think he fits in the Yankees, and is, is he a lefty? Uh, he's a righty. No. Oh, that's too bad. If he was a lefty, I'd be like, "Hey, let's hit forty-five home runs. Let's do this. Juice ball." Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I would take Braun for nothing. In fact, I would trade a Gardner for Braun. I don't think he's. I don't think he's. I think I'm, I'm surprised they clear waivers. So I don't think that he's a he's a uh, a bad contract for bad contract guy. So you couldn't do like an Ellsbury. Um, and the Brewers are kind of smart right now, so maybe they're going to look to look for a prospect or something. But uh, he should be pretty doable. Yeah, the minus with him being, of course, only playing the corner outfield positions and not seeming to be above par of them, his bat better stay this good. Otherwise, he's Carlos Beltran, basically, if he, as you predict, for age 33, 34, 35, gets only worse defensively. Um, so, yeah, he's probably worth having, especially if you could dump something. But agree, he's not worth giving up a lot of value for. I mean, I think a DH is, is that spot. Like, if Beltron, if A-Rod wasn't around and Beltron had DH these last three seasons, he right. would have been a pretty good value. Right. Um, and especially if maybe, you know, you platoon him a little bit as he gets older. And, you know, and Braun is, you know, seven years younger than Beltron is. So, you know, he, he Braun wasn't, it wasn't that long ago that Braun was a seven-win player. And you also bring up a good point, which is that they could move him to DH. And you couldn't in years past with the Yankees just because, in addition to having A-Rod at DH, Beltran should have been a DH. You needed to DH Teixeira just to keep him, you know, from injuring himself even worse at times. Um, in the coming years, you probably want to DH Headley a bit, maybe. So, but I don't think they have that 
logjam of people needing DH time, given that they're not as old as they were. So, yeah, they could fit a guy like Brian at DH. And maybe he'll take steroids again. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know if this will. I don't know if this will be surprising or not, but I'm actually going to go ahead and say that I'd take on his full contract, and I'd probably give up something decent for him. I- I'm not going to say what that is. It wouldn't be one of the team's top prospects, but I don't know Gardner and a piece or two of you know moderate value, like a. A C plus to B prospect, something in that range. Tyler Austin type. I'd give up something a little better than Tyler Austin because Dylan Tate. Dylan Tate, yeah, I would do that because Ryan Braun, I his bat is legit. His bat has gotten better in back to back seasons. The further he's got from the thumb injury, he's a big athletic dude. He just has never learned how to chase down balls in the outfield. Maybe he moves to first base and Greg Bird who already has the bad back and had the shoulder injury, can DH, which is probably his best fit. He, he's a guy that I think makes the team better next year and for most of the years in his contract. You and, know what would be really interesting about that is that what I've never heard of happening in trade, and there are a lot of reasons it can't, is the Yankees and Brewers talk trade, get this in tentative terms, but it's conditioned on taking Ryan Braun to an indoor undisclosed location where nobody would see how it goes and see how he does with the first base glove. <laughs> That'd be interesting. But, but and no, the other like, thing I'll say, finally, just the last note about Ryan Braun, is that I can speak with some authority here about how a change in scenery might help him, because I've been a Jewish fellow who's lived in both New York and Milwaukee, and let's say that it's just better to be that way in New York. To trade with the Rockies. Maybe that's what turned into drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to end on that ringing endorsement of Milwaukee, especially because that's where Brad lives. So let's just let that linger in the air for a little bit. So we ended up going a little longer, but six minutes over isn't terrible. But in an effort to keep it short, I'm just going to say good night, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, and just one last note is that, you know, any kids in Milwaukee listening, stay in school and stay off the drugs. There's no excuse, even if you're Jewish. <laughs> Bye, everyone. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.